0: To the news magazine on the america out loud network i'm alana friedman and this is the friedman report welcome to the news magazine on the america out loud network i'm alana friedman and this is the friedman report well we all know what's the big story this week christmas and also hanukkah And I'm going to talk about both because, as it happens, both holidays are being celebrated at the same time this year, more or less. And the stories behind the holidays both come from the same place in the world, the place we know as Israel. So let's begin with Hanukkah because the event behind the holiday happened first in history. It happened, in fact, two centuries before the birth of Jesus when Judea, which was known then as the land of Israel, was conquered by the Seleucid king Antiochus Third of Syria. He was relatively kind, and the Jews in Judea did not suffer under his rule, because unlike other tyrants who had conquered the region over the millennia, Antiochus allowed the Jews to live there, to practice their religion, without interference and in peace. However, his son Antiochus IV, who succeeded him, was not so kind. He outlawed the practice of Judaism and ordered the Jews to worship Greek gods. Then, in 168 BC, his soldiers attacked Jerusalem and massacred thousands of Jews. And then he entered the Holy Second Temple and desecrated it by building an altar to Zeus and sacrificing pigs within its sacred walls. Now, there was a small town of Modayin, which was, and still is, by the way, about 18 miles west of Jerusalem. And there was a man there by the name of Matityahu Hakohen ben Yochanan. He was a priest in the Holy Temple. And his story is recounted in detail in the first book of Maccabees. Matityahu was a priest, as I say, who had served in the holy temple in Jerusalem before the Seleucids came. And he was infuriated by the total destruction and desecration of this holy site. So great was his anger, as the story is told in Maccabees, that when a Seleucid official demanded in 167 BC that he make a sacrifice to the Greek gods, he refused, and when another Jewish man stepped up to do it in his place, he killed the man, and then he killed the official who had ordered him to offend his God. And in a heartbeat the priestly matityahu became a wanted man. So, together with his five sons, Judah, Eleazar, Shimon, Yohanan, and Yonatan, he escaped to the hills of Judea and led a large-scale rebellion against Antiochus and the Seleucid monarchy. And when he died, his son Yehuda, Judah in English, who was known as the Hammer, Yehuda took over the leadership of the insurrection, and he led his Jewish army, and they hid in caves and in the woods, and they struck the formal Syrian army without warning. They were probably the first guerrilla fighting force in history. And their original tactics were so successful that within two years, the Jews had successfully driven the Syrian army out of Jerusalem. But when they returned to the temple, they were horrified to find to what degree the Syrians had desecrated it. In order for it to be used again for its holy purpose, it had to be thoroughly cleansed. Judah called on his followers to come and cleanse the second temple and rebuilt its altar. When this was finally done, and before the temple could be used for solemn prayer, the light that was kept burning all the time in the sanctuary, and was never allowed to go out, that light needed to be rekindled. But that required a very pure oil, because it was holy. And all they could find, that hadn't been spilled or tainted, was one small vial, Enough to burn for only one day. And the pure oil that they needed to replenish the oil that had been destroyed was four days travel away from Jerusalem and then four days back. Now according to the Talmud, which is one of the central texts in Jewish learning, the priest nevertheless lit the Ner The Ner is the Hebrew word for the everlasting light or the light that is never extinguished and always shines in the Holy Temple. And they waited for a fresh supply of oil to be found and delivered to Jerusalem. But the miracle of Hanukkah, as reported in the book of Maccabees and celebrated throughout Jewish history, was that the little bit of oil that they had found and lit, expecting it to last only one day, it continued to burn for eight days until it could be refreshed with the new oil. So Hanukkah celebrates the rededication of the Holy Temple and the miracle of the light that burned for eight days. Jews around the world light candles or cups of oil in a nine-branched candelabra called a menorah. Eight of the lights represent each of the eight days of the miracle. And the ninth branch holds what in Hebrew is called the shamash, That represents the priest who was the only one who was allowed to light the everlasting light in the temple. So every night during Hanukkah, Jews light the candle or the oil lamp called the shamash and then use it to light the other candles. One candle on the first night, then two on the second night and so forth until the final night, the eighth night, when all the candles in the menorah are lit. So the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah celebrates the joy of the rededication of the second temple in Jerusalem and the miracle of the light that burned for eight days. This is a story that goes back more than 2,200 years. So here's a question for you. America is largely a Christian country. It was discovered by Christians and all of the founding fathers were Christians and today 65% of Americans consider themselves to be Christians, and Jews represent only slightly more than 2% of the population. So why do we even talk about Hanukkah when we talk about Christmas? Why is it important? Well, if you were to ask a founding father, if you could, he would probably tell you this, what many of us were taught when we were growing up in the last century, that our country was built on what are called Judeo-Christian principles. And that is because the Christian Bible, what Christians call the New Testament, is an extension of the Jewish Bible, what the Christians call the Old Testament. There are many Christians today, in fact, who will tell you that Christianity is like a tree whose growth comes from its Jewish roots. So the importance of Jewish history and culture is that it is the wellspring from which Christianity has grown and flourished all around the world. And the principles upon which our Christian heritage has developed are the basic principles that were envisioned and practiced by our Jewish ancestors. America is truly based on a Judeo-Christian philosophy, and that philosophy is what has enabled our forefathers to create a unique and wonderful nation that has embraced freedom and personal responsibility and has served as an example to the rest of the world. So now we get to the story of Christmas. It's quite a different story, slightly newer and very beautiful. And in the commentary that follows, I'm going to raise a few questions about the story as legend as opposed to the story as history. Because there is no single version of the birth of Jesus And there are many archaeological findings that have challenged the story that we have always thought to be the real one. In the first place, and astonishingly, even the date of his birth is unknown. Nowhere is it mentioned in the Bible, and it was only in the 4th century that the church designated December 25th, which is the winter solstice, in the Julian calendar that was used at the time not the Gregorian calendar, which wasn't introduced until 1582 by Pope Gregory XIII. What we do know is that it was a time of great repression by the Romans, who had conquered the country in 6 AD and transformed the territories of Judea, Samaria, and Edomia into a Roman province that they called Syria. Now here's where the story gets difficult, because it seems that there is not one story of Christmas, there are many pieces of stories, and they do not all agree. It is a strange part of Christmas that the story of the birth of Jesus has so many contradictions and is so full of puzzles. One of the most surprising of these is that nowhere in the New Testament is the date of Jesus' birth mentioned. Nowhere. And as surprising as that is, even the season in which Jesus was born is likely incorrect because the decision on the part of the Romans to hold the census in the heart of winter when the cold would make traveling difficult, if not impossible, that was probably very unlikely. If any of you listening to the program have had the opportunity to experience it, you will know that the weather in the hills of Jerusalem and Bethlehem in December, is cold and damp and windy and extremely unpleasant for travel, particularly if you are a woman riding on the back of a donkey in labor. And shepherds would not likely be out in their fields with their sheep and goats. They'd be huddled together in a shelter to protect them from the cold. Now, here is another big historical contradiction. Luke's version of the birth of Jesus has linked it to the census of Quirinius in 6 AD and to the reign of King Herod, who died before the turn of the millennium. This is a rather large mix-up of dates and events, and scholars have puzzled and argued over this for years. And since I'm not a biblical scholar, I don't want to get into it. I'd rather talk about the legends that hold the Christmas story together and keep the magic of the season intact. Regardless of the contradictions, there's a real story here with a real message. So let's get back to the story that everybody knows and almost everybody believes because that's really what this is all about. Here's what we believe happened, if we choose, that makes Christmas so special. According to tradition, Mary and Joseph were desperate to find a place to stay in their journey from the Galilee to register for the census. They were desperate because Mary was in labor and she needed to find a safe place to give birth. This was especially difficult because so many people had traveled to the center of the country to be counted in the census, and temporary lodging was very difficult to find. So the story goes that they found an inn, but according to Luke, there was no room. Luke said about Mary that, quote, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room at the inn, unquote. So Jesus was born and placed in a manger surrounded by adoring animals and angels. A manger, according to the scholars who translated the Aramaic, the Greek, and the Latin, was a feeding trough from which the animals ate their hay. And with a bed of soft hay, the baby would have been both comfortable and warm. And the story continues. That a large star in the sky marked his birthplace and brought people from miles around to witness the arrival of the little child who they believed would be their king. And that the manger was visited by shepherds and farmers and townspeople. It also included the three wise men who brought the baby presents of myrrh and frankincense and gold. So, even though there are many contradictions in the biblical account of the birth of Jesus, there are many reasons for ignoring them. The joy of Christmas shouldn't be diminished because of them. And to be frank, I like the story about the manger. And because I'm a farmer, The picture of animals gathering around the newborn child is beautiful and touching and believable. And Christmas is really all about the magic of the season, the love and the joy, and the magic that somehow defines the season with goodwill and generosity and, yes, love. Now here's one last story before we take a break. And this is a kind of Christmas miracle That's really nice to hear about. You know, in the UK at Northumbria University, art conservators were examining an x-ray of some artwork that they had of the execution of John the Baptist. And it was painted on a piece of canvas that was spread over a large wooden panel. And uh, as they were looking at this x-ray, they thought they saw another image it featured angels with halos and a baby. And they couldn't figure out what it was, but they took the canvas that had been stretched on this board and they removed it very carefully. And underneath the canvas was a wooden panel. And on the wooden panel, there was a painting. And the painting was a nativity scene in amazing detail and they discovered it just before Christmas. That's extraordinary. The question of who painted it was not in the article so we don't have that information yet but it was a medieval painting for sure and now where there was one painting there are now two. One that had been under observation, and being x-rayed. And the other was a painting that had been hidden for centuries. And it was a painting, for Christmas, of the nativity of Jesus in the manger. That's a nice little Christmas story that hasn't quite yet got an ending. The x-ray that they saw revealed several figures, not just the baby. It included the outline of what Could be one of the three wise men, but the most prominent thing was the baby in a manger with a halo around his head. Nice. Now the clock is telling me it's time to take a short break, but I'll be right back with some Christmas fables, some old favorites, some memories about Christmas past, and some thoughts about Christmas future. Don't go away. It's
1: your news and entertainment network, news blogs, informative podcasts, entertaining videos, or listen to 24-7 talk radio on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We the people, AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Welcome to the new era in communications,
2: America Out Loud Talk Radio. Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled, seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store.
0: So Christmas is here and maybe, by the time you hear this, Christmas will have come and gone. But what I remember most about Christmas's past, before the days of Black Friday and super sales at your favorite box stores, is the feeling that comes with the excitement and the sense of goodwill and good cheer that seem to somehow put a little spring in your step and love in your heart during the Christmas season. And I remember the wonderful stories that I used to read over and over again about other times and other places at Christmas time. The story of Scrooge and Tiny Tim, and about Christmas through the eyes of children, by people like Hans Christian Andersen, O Henry, Charles Dickens, the Brothers Grimm, and even Harriet Beecher Stowe and Leo Tolstoy. They all wrote Christmas stories. But I also remember the legends about how different customs and symbols of the Christmas season came to be, and those were among my favorites. So for the next few minutes, I'd like to share with you a few of my favorite legends that I remember from my childhood. Remember, though, these are legends, and they may not be historically correct, so take a leap of faith with me and enjoy the stories for what they are. They were intended to teach a lesson of love and faith, which is, after all, what Christmas is all about. These aren't long stories, just stories that still warm my heart around this time of year. This one's a classic. It's called The Legend of Babushka. Now, Babushka is the Russian version of St. Nicholas. And this story is about an old and lonely woman who, according to the legend, began the tradition of giving gifts to children at Christmas time. Now, if you had grown up in my family, You would think that babushka means a scarf, like old women used to wear, and some still do. But my family didn't speak Russian, and so they didn't know that babushka actually means grandmother or old woman in Russian. And although she may sometimes wear a scarf on her head, it is the old woman and not the scarf that is called babushka. Anyway, babushka lived in a big house where she was safe and warm. But oh my, she was very lonely. She had no friends and she had no neighbors. She could hear the sound of travelers passing by her house in their carts. And sometimes she would see the animals grazing nearby in the fields. And they could give her comfort. She would bring food to the animals and the birds. And sometimes she would offer a resting place to weary travelers. But when winter came, and winter in Russia is very long and very cold and very lonely, and these little comforts, the passers-by, the animals, they would also fade away, even the birds, for whom she would leave breadcrumbs, they would also leave her for warmer places. So Babushka was sad and lonely, hoping and praying for company. Then, one night during a long, cold winter, when she was trying to sleep, she heard a noise outside, voices and grunts. And she was puzzled. She didn't think there were any people or animals for miles around because the entire earth was covered in a blanket of deep snow. But before she even had time to puzzle this out, she heard a loud pounding on her door and she rushed to open it, thinking it must be a cold and hungry traveler. But when she opened the door, she saw three large horses with three noblemen dressed in what she thought were the finest and richest clothes she had ever seen. Babushka invited the men inside, but they refused to come in. Instead, they invited her to travel with them. They said they were going to Bethlehem, where they were going to find and welcome the child who would be the king of the Jews and who would lead mankind to salvation. Babushka asked the strangers to come in where it was warm and invited them to spend the night in her house and that in the morning they could all leave together. But the noblemen declined because, they said, they did not want to be delayed. And so they set off again without her. Later that night, she thought of the three men and the strange message that they had brought to her about the child who would be king. She felt sad at refusing to go with them. So then and there she decided to meet the child. She gathered some trinkets to give him, and she set out in the cold, dark night. But, as luck would have it, although she traveled far and wide, she could find neither the boy king nor the travelers. The legend says that Babushka is still out there looking for the boy king, and that whenever she meets a child, She presents him with a little gift and continues on her search. And this, my friends, is where the custom of giving gifts to children on Christmas comes from, continuing the pious work of Babushka. And then there's the legend of Robin Redbreast. The little robin, sometimes called the Christmas robins in England and Robin Redbreast in America, are often thought of as harbingers of spring. But did you know that there is a legend about how this rather ordinary bird played a very important role in that first Christmas? And did you also know that robins are known for having shared the holy stable of Bethlehem with Jesus and his family, even when other animals chose not to draw too close to Mary and her newborn baby? Or so the legend goes. It is believed that this bird used its wings to reignite a fire from vanishing sparks so that the baby Jesus could stay warm. The story goes like this. The night Jesus was born was extremely cold, and a cold wind blew into the stable where Mary lay with her baby Jesus in her arms. There was a fire in the stable, and it was the only source of heat for the baby. But the fire was about to go out, And Mary was anxious that her newborn baby would be chilled by the cold. So she asked the surrounding animals for help. She asked the sleeping ox, the lazy donkey, the grumpy horse, and the sheep. But they were either lazy or tired, or they just refused to help. Then suddenly, Mary heard the flapping sound of wings. A robin had heard Mother Mary's cry for help and had flown into the stable to see what he could do. The robin flapped his wings hard at the dying embers of fire until the fire was rekindled and became bright red. He kept fanning the flames, flapping hard so the fire never went out and it kept the baby warm. To ensure that the fire stayed alive, the robin used his beak and dropped some dry sticks into the fire. Now according to the legend, these dry sticks caused the fire to flare up and the flames came so high that they burnt the little bird's breast feathers. But despite the burn, the little bird continued fanning so that the infant could keep warm for long enough to fall asleep safely in his mother's arms. Mary thanked the robin for coming to her aid, and when she looked at his breast and saw that it was now red with the burns, she blessed him for his bravery and his selflessness. And ever since that night, the robin has shown his Red breast of courage, as he announces that spring will soon be here. And have you heard the legend of the sage plant? You know, in the days before Jesus was born, King Herod, whom the Romans had appointed king of Judea, was outraged when he heard that the ancient prophecy of the birth of the Messiah and the future king of the Jews in his country was about to be fulfilled. Since he didn't know where to find the baby so that he could kill him, he ordered his soldiers to find and kill every boy child under the age of two so that he would be safe from his would-be enemy. But angels had already warned Joseph in a dream about the forthcoming disaster, and he rushed off with Mary and baby Jesus from Bethlehem to cross the borders of the kingdom of Judea and escape to Egypt. The distance was long. And people were so afraid of the strangers that nobody came out to help them or to offer them shelter or even water. Yet Joseph and Mary did everything they could to get away from Judea and hide from Herod's soldiers. At one point in their journey, Mary just couldn't go on without some water. Their donkey was thirsty as well and the baby needed to be nursed. So they stopped on the roadside where Mary nursed the baby Jesus while Joseph went to the nearest village to get some water for them and a drink for the donkey. Suddenly, Mary heard shouts and cries and the approaching noise of horses' hoofs. Her heart trembled with fear. She knew that if Herod's soldiers caught her, they would cut the throat of the baby. There was not a cave or a tree nearby where she could hide, and she was desperate for a refuge. Then Mary saw a rose bush and bloom near nearby and asked her for a place to hide. But the rosebush proudly refused to offer her any help at all because then she said she would be in danger of being crushed by the soldiers. Ever since then the rosebush has thorns on it. Then Mary rushed to a nearby clove bush because it had plenty of flowers to hide her and the infant. But the clove bush refused also. She said she was too busy making flowers. And since then, clove has an ill-smelling flower. The only bush that was left was the sage plant. And unlike the others, sage was kind and charitable. And when Mary asked sage to hide her and the baby, it pushed its flowers forward and created a canopy for the mother and the child. The soldiers passed by them without suspecting a thing. And because of the kindness of the little sage plant, Mary blessed it, and the sage has since been considered sacred with many curative powers. And finally, there is the legend of the Christmas rose. Christmas is the season of giving gifts. That is one way we can show our love towards one another. But no gift that is bought is more valuable than something that comes straight from the heart. The tradition of giving Christmas gifts began with the kind gifts that the three wise men brought for the baby Jesus to welcome him into the world. Since then, gifts have become an essential part of Christmas. But no matter how beautiful or expensive the gift is, the legend of the Christmas rose originated just to teach people that no matter what you give, it must be from the heart. Even if the gift in question is just a flower the christmas rose is a flower which only blooms during the chill of winter and it has become an important part of christmas this is the story it was a cold cold night in december and people came from far and near to see the newborn baby jesus and they brought him all kinds of gifts the three wise men came in with their gifts of myrrh and frankincense and gold "'which they offered to the baby Jesus. "'A shepherdess, whose name was Madeline, "'saw the wise men passing through, "'and then she reached the door of the stable "'and she saw the child. "'But she was very poor and had nothing to offer him. "'She felt helpless and began to cry quietly "'at the sight of all the wonderful gifts "'that the three wise men had brought for him. "'On her way to the manger, "'she had searched for flowers all across the countryside, "'but it was so bitterly cold there was not even a single bloom to be found anywhere. An angel was standing outside the door watching over her, and he knew about her unsuccessful search. He took pity on her, and when he saw her head hung down in sorrow, he decided to help her with a little miracle. A little miracle, you know, just a small one. He gently brushed aside the snow at her feet, and where her tears had fallen... There was a beautiful cluster of white winter roses with pink-tipped petals. And he softly whispered into her ear that these Christmas roses are far more valuable than any myrrh, frankincense, or gold because they are pure and made of love. Madelon was astonished when she heard these words. She quickly gathered the flowers and offered them to the baby. rewarded her with a smile. And this is the way that the legend of the Christmas Rose was born and the flower came to symbolize hope and love and all that is wonderful in this joyous season. Now I have a real-life legend that I want to share with you, a real Christmas miracle. Ten weeks ago a Missouri veteran had a work accident in which he fell 18 feet from a scissor lift. He suffered a traumatic brain injury from his fall, and he went into a deep coma. The doctors told his wife that he probably wouldn't make it to the weekend, and she had to tell her young children, ages 4, 3, and 7 months, that their daddy would probably not wake up. But they stayed by his side in the hospital, and they talked to him, and they played with him, and the baby lay next to him in the bed. Then, this week, just before Christmas, their father began to emerge from his coma. He is far from a full recovery. At first, he just fluttered his eyelids, but it was a beginning that they thought they might never see. It was a Christmas miracle, and there couldn't be a better one for this family. Now, there is one Christmas miracle that no one has yet been able to explain the Star of Bethlehem, or the Christmas Star. It's a major symbol of Christmas, and it has never been truly understood. The story has come down through the ages and has made its way onto countless Christmas cards, book illustrations, and famous works of art. It is about three wise men gazing across gently rolling Judean hills, looking through the dark night toward the city of Bethlehem, and one extremely bright star appears to hover over a small building Sending a bright shaft of light down to illuminate it. That is the picture we see so frequently at Christmas time. In fact, there is only one reference to the star in the New Testament, and it is in the Gospel of Matthew, where it says, quote, And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Unquote. The truth is, if the star actually behaved in that way, then the star of Bethlehem could not have been any known natural phenomenon because there is nothing that we know of that would have behaved in that fashion. As we mentioned earlier, no one knows exactly when Jesus was born. If we did, we might be able to align it to some astronomical event that occurred during that period. But the Bible does not say, and the Roman emperors made it even more difficult because they kept fiddling with the calendars. One clue we do have, however, is the reference that the shepherds were out in the field keeping watch over their flocks, something the scholars say was likely only done in the spring when lambs were born. Farmers say that too. Thus the birth was likely in the spring. The fact is, the Christmas star cannot be explained by today's science. It has never been explained as any known physical object. There's no astronomical explanation and religion offers only accounts of a miraculous apparition that was seen by many, explained by none. So even though there may be no agreement on the nature of the star, or even its actual sighting 2,000 years ago, the star, the star of Bethlehem, remains a symbol, a symbol of Christmas, that represents, as the Gospel of Luke says, On earth peace, goodwill toward men. Well, it's time for another quick break. I'll be right back with a part of this show that we have every week at this time. You just can't make this stuff up. Think
3: back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way.
1: Spreading the out loud truth from sea to shine and see. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. To unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. We are the vision of the voices. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio.
0: And now, this is the section where I usually do something called, You Just Can't Make This Stuff Up. First story. The police in Riverside, California are trying to catch a thief who stole $500 from a street artist who makes his living drawing caricatures of people passing by. Riverside police said the theft occurred during the Festival of Lights in downtown Riverside. Now, it seems that on the evening of December 5th, a man walked over and asked to have his portrait drawn. He sat for his drawing, but then instead of paying for it, He stood up and grabbed the artist's money bag, which contained some $500, and he ran off, leaving the drawing behind. Leaving the drawing behind. No police sketch artist needed here. The police are now using the drawing that he left behind to try to track him down. They've posted the drawing on Facebook with a message. Do you recognize this caricature? Oh no, we're not kidding, (laughs) unquote, signed the Riverside Police. You just can't make this stuff up. Okay, this is a big one. The impeachment fiasco. Check this out. One, way back in 2016, during the presidential campaign, the Democrats tried to ensure Hillary Clinton's victory by finding something impeachable against candidate Trump and then President Trump. Two, when that failed, they presented the Russia-Russia collusion conspiracy and proved it with a so-called dossier that they got from a discredited former British spy, and the dossier was pure fiction. But the DNC and the Clinton campaign shelled out $168,000 for that phony document. Three, and even though it was phony, it became primary evidence that was used to justify a warrant for the FBI to spy on American citizens involved with the Trump campaign. Four. And then they commissioned the Mueller investigation to look into the Russia-Russia collusion story. Two years and $35 million later, they found nothing. So when that failed, they latched on to a phone call between President Trump and Ukraine's newly elected President Zelensky and based on the word of a secret leaker whom they called a whistleblower, the Democrats decided to impeach him. Six, the impeachment inquiry was initiated by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on September 24, 2019, and the process began in secret in the House Intelligence Committee under Democrat Adam Schiff. Seven, later they also began Public hearings as well, and when they couldn't find impartial witnesses with first hand knowledge of the specifics, they brought in biased witnesses with no first hand knowledge, with one exception, to testify before the House committee. But the Democrats refused to allow the Republican members of the committees the right to bring their own witnesses or to freely question the Democrats' witnesses. Eight. And after they were all through with the Intelligence Committee, they moved the hearings over to the House Judiciary Committee under Democrat Gerald Nadler. And the same process played itself out all over again. Nine. So they rushed through these strangely biased impeachment hearings in only three months. And, uh, by the way, you may remember that the investigation of Bill Clinton took nearly four years and was carried out not by a congressional committee, but by a special prosecutor. Ten. Ten. So after rushing through the hearings, they voted to impeach the president on two counts, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress, neither of which are impeachable high crimes. The articles gave no specific as to what the impeachable crimes were supposed to be, and in fact, there were none, and the charges were not backed up by either specifics or proof of any kind. Nevertheless, the decision was reaffirmed by the entire U.S. Congress on December 18th, with all Republicans voting against and all but three Democrats voting for. 11. Now that Pelosi has rushed this process through in all haste, she refuses to send the articles of impeachment over to the Senate where the trial can begin. (laughs) My God, you you can't make this stuff up. Honestly, (laughs) this is too much. This hurry-up-and-wait tactic has a much deeper political implication than it appears because the Democrats have been trying to impeach Trump since 2016 before he was even elected. So why are they holding it up now? And by the way, when Pelosi was asked why are they rushing it through, she said, we're not rushing it through. This process began two and a half years ago. Really? Really? But wait a minute, he's being impeached on a phone call that he made on July 25th. What were you doing the rest of that time? And why do you think that that's okay? 12, and oh, by the way, as if they haven't enough on constitutional shenanigans, House Democrats are now raising the possibility, as of just this week, authorizing more articles of impeachment against the president, as if the two that didn't mean anything had it weren't enough. According to lawyers for the Judiciary Committee, Congress is open to the possibility of impeaching President Donald Trump a second time. They say it could be necessary if they uncover new evidence that the president attempted to obstruct their investigations into his conduct. In other words, this is a story without end according to the Democrats. Don't they have real work to do? Aren't there bills they're supposed to be talking about and passing? What's going on with these people? 13. So let's get one thing clear. Obstruction of Congress is not an impeachable offense, and neither are unspecified claims of abuse of power. We all know why they have been working so hard to impeach the president, There is only one crime of which the president is guilty. He's guilty of winning the election in November 2016. You just can't make this stuff up. Well, on another note, here's a sad story that comes from Wake Forest, North Carolina, where they have an annual Christmas parade every year with floats and a whole lot of community involvement. But this year there will be no parade. And the reason for that is a reflection of what is going on in our country, and it's not good. For the last 20 years, United Daughters of the Confederacy and the Sons of Confederate Veterans have marched in this parade. Their floats featured members of their groups dressed in period costumes like Confederate gray uniforms and hoop dresses, and they displayed Confederate flags. Now, I know that that's a sensitive issue, and we could talk about that later or another time. But in the meantime, the parade. While these groups are largely interested in the history of the Civil War, outside groups who might come to be confrontational are considered by the local government to be a threat to the safety of the residents of the community in Wake Forest. Wake Forest Mayor Vivian Jones said when she announced the cancellation, quote, for most of us, our annual Christmas parade is about spending time with friends and family and celebrating the spirit of the season. Yet there are some outside our community whose sole purpose is to use the occasion to promote their political agenda without any regard for the health and safety of our citizens. The board made the wise decision to deny these outside agitators the opportunity to use Wake Forest as a platform to spread hate and incite violence. The decision to cancel this year's parade is not a reflection on our community or on our wonderful people. Rather, it's an unfortunate consequence of what happens when outside agitators make it known they will use local events like our parade to sow hate and spark chaos. So Wake Forest will miss its annual Christmas parade this year. And the anarchists and Antifa and the agitators from across the country will win, and the good people of America will lose. And freedom of expression, as promised to all of us in our Constitution, will suffer one more blow. Do I like what the United Daughters of the Confederacy and the Sons of Confederate Veterans stand for? Do you know what they stand for? The UDC puts it this way. We are descendants of Confederate soldiers, sailors, and patriots. Our members are the ones who have spent 123 years honoring their memory by various activities in the fields of education, history, and charity, promoting patriotism and good citizenship. Our members are the ones who, like our statues, have stayed quietly in the background, never engaging in public controversy. Look, I don't revere those who owned slaves and, and wanted, throughout the Civil War, to perpetuate slavery. The idea of one person owning another is disgusting to me. It makes me sick. But America achieved something remarkable when it ended slavery and it sought to have a just country with freedom for all Americans. And I also believe in the constitutionally given freedom of expression. And I do not believe in the suppression of history. As many of you already know, I believe that we need to remember history in order to prevent ourselves from repeating it. We live in dangerous times. It is when we try to suppress the opinions of others that we put our nation in the greatest danger of all, of becoming something it was never meant to be, intolerant and unjust. So I will always opt for freedom of expression and responsibility. That each one of us has to speak truth to power whenever it is possible. So, when the people of Wake Forest have to cancel their Christmas parade because there are other people, people who live in other cities, who don't want the folks in Wake Forest to have the same freedom of expression that these so called activists from other places grab for themselves, that's not American. That's not freedom. That's tyranny. And it's not okay. And when they threaten violence because they don't agree that it's okay for someone else to carry a flag they disagree with, that is the beginning of something none of us want for America. America is broken. And there is no better time than Christmas week to try to find a way to fix it. But it's going to take more than words and promises. The tree is rotten from the top, and Americans need, now more than ever, to remember the hopes and dreams of the first Americans, who promised us the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And finally, I would like to say a few words about religion in America, and about the way Americans treat each other's differences. The fabric of our nation, our local governments, our schools, the lessons we teach our kids when we support the tyranny of the minority, that worries me. I grew up in a different world and I liked it there. It taught me values, it taught me respect for others, and it taught me fairness. So here's my beef. Why should a small minority of people rule this country and keep the rest of us on the defensive because we don't toe their mark? Here's what I'm talking about. I grew up in a Christian country. That was my America. It didn't surprise me when I went to school and was required to participate in the annual Christmas pageant, even though I wasn't a Christian. I went to public school every morning. I joined my classmates in reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. We were all Americans. So at Christmas time, I sang Christmas carols with my friends. I was a little Jewish girl trying to find my way in a Christian world. But it didn't anger me. I didn't look for safe spaces or blame the wider Christian world for my discomfort, if I had any, I don't remember any, but maybe I did. Did you know that 1.4 million people in America identify as transgender? They represent 0.3% of the American population. That's a tiny minority. And when you're talking about the LGBTQ community as a whole, there are roughly 10 million people who identify as LGBTQ. That's roughly 4% of the population. And why am I mentioning this? In a country of 330 million people, these are very small numbers, small minorities. And yet they demand from us, the rest of us, special attention and respect for them because of their self-identified sexual orientation. Why is that important? I don't care what your sexual orientation is, but if I send my daughter to a school where biological male transgender students who want to can decide which lavatory, even which locker room they will use, what happens to the rights of my daughter, LGBTQ friends? Why is it so important to honor the sensitivity feelings of the tiniest minority at the expense of the overwhelming majority? When I was a little Jewish girl singing Christmas carols in a predominantly Christian school, I really think I got it right. I understood that I had a choice to make. I also understood that there was an issue of fairness that I had to take into account, and that reality demands compromise. I didn't cave, I didn't cower, but I lived with reality, and I agreed that it was mostly fair. I have to confess that as an adult, I do not understand this willingness on the part of adult Americans to give in to the demands of the tiniest minorities that insist that we not only acknowledge them, but respect them and that we give them special treatment without their having earned it. Jews represent only 2% of the American population. I didn't know that when I was in elementary school, but I could see plainly that most of my friends and classmates were Christians. So what? I understood that old expression, Majority rules, and I thought it was fair. That is what is so special about America. In a country where the majority of the population was Christian, a little Jewish girl like me had a chance to achieve what she could, not because she was in a special category as a minority, but because she was in America. Christmas this year is special for me because Hanukkah and Christmas coincide, and what I see is not the differences. I see all the things that we have in common. I love the joy of the Christmas season, and I love the lights and the warmth of family that goes with Hanukkah. As Americans, we sure have a lot going for us. Let's hope we can make that work for all of us this year. Wishing you all a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy, Whatever it is you celebrate, have a good holiday season and a wonderful year ahead. Well, my friends, we have reached the end of another show. Thank you for spending this hour with me. And remember, if you have a comment or question, if you agree or disagree with me, let me hear from you at ilana, I-L-A-N-A, at americaoutloud.com. It was great spending this hour with you this week, and I look forward to being with you again next week. You've been listening to the news magazine on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Ilana Friedman, and this has been the special Christmas edition of the Friedman Report.